Amen. Well, this morning uh, we are continuing on in our sermon study series through the Apostles' Creed, uh, exploring some of the basic foundations of the Christian faith. Uh, and we've talked about what it means to believe, believing as, as a trusting in something, what it means to believe in God, uh, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, uh, that the one who has made everything that is, uh, that he desires to be in relationship with us. We've talked about how, how God adopted us as his children, how he paid the price to bring us in, uh, to be a part of his forever family. Uh, and that that's the, the awesomeness of the God that we believe in. And this morning, as we continue through the creed, we're going to take a look at the next line in the creed. It says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And so uh, to refresh our memories, I'm going to invite us to stand together and we're going to uh, recite the creed together. We're going to profess our faith through the words of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, it'll be up on your screen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. So in the creed, you see that it, uh, the creed says a lot about Jesus, uh, and rightfully so, and we're going to talk more about the significance of all the, those different things that it's telling us about Jesus, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. We'll talk about that part uh, next week. Uh, this week, we're just going to focus on that first line about Jesus. Uh, Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? Uh, when we talk about Jesus as Lord, uh, we could talk about it in both a theological sense uh, and a practical sense, right? Uh, theology being the study of God, or as uh, my theology professor would say, that it is a word about God, from God, or to God, right? And it's theological. It's a study of God, and all of us, in some sense, in some way, are, are theologians. We're all learning how to make sense of God uh, and what that means for our lives, what it means for the world around us. And so theologically speaking, to say Jesus is Lord uh, was a Christian way of being able to say that Jesus is God in flesh. Jesus is God with human skin on. It was to recognize that the God who is the, the Almighty Father, the maker of the heavens and the earth, had taken on human flesh and lived among us. Theologically, to say Jesus is Lord was to see that, that Jesus had power over nature, Right, the same way that God had uh, parted the waters of the Red Sea back in the Old Testament to allow the, the children of Israel to walk through on dry land. Now we see Jesus taking control over nature, telling the, the wind and the waves, the storm to peace, be still. Jesus walking over the water. He's demonstrating his lordship over creation. Uh, we see that uh, theologically speaking to see and uh, to say that Jesus is Lord means that Jesus had the power to provide. The same way that in the Old Testament, God made uh, manna, bread from heaven, come down to feed the Israelites who were hungry. The same way that uh, he made the, the oil and the flour not run out for the widow of Zarephath. We see Jesus providing for people. He took the, the five loaves and the two fish and he multiplied them so that it fed over the 5,000 people who were gathered to hear him speak. 
to say that Jesus is Lord is to recognize that in Jesus, uh, God is working out his power to forgive. Right? The same way that only God could forgive sins, Jesus went around telling people, you know, your sins are forgiven. To the person who was paralyzed, he said, your sins are forgiven. To the, to the woman who had been caught in adultery, he, he, he tells her to go and sin no more. He's like, you're not condemned. That's something that only God could do. And we see that at work within Jesus, that he's showing us that he is God and flesh, that he is Lord. And so theologically speaking, to say Jesus is Lord is to say that Jesus is God. And, and we, could, we could spend all kinds of time on this. I mean, I think, I think there was a couple of classes that just kind of really focused on this whenever I was in school. But what I want to do is, is with this understanding that Jesus is God in flesh, that he had all the same powers as God because he is God, uh, is to focus on what it means for us to say Jesus is Lord in a practical sense. If, if I'm to say that I believe in Jesus Christ as only Son, our Lord, what does it mean for my life? Uh, what does that statement do for me? And what does that statement expect from me? And, and so while, while everything that we talk about has Scripture as its foundation, we're going to read together a short passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5 and 6 this morning uh, to kind of to, to start our conversation on what it means for us to say Jesus is Lord practically. Uh, here in 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to a church uh, about their practices, right? About, about what's going on among them, about the way that they are living as followers of Jesus. And he's giving them instructions. And in giving these instructions, he shares an important truth about what it means to follow Jesus. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5 and 6 says, Indeed... Even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. It's an interesting set of verses that uh, makes us pause and think, uh, in part because Paul says there are many gods and many lords. And if you've spent much time in church in America, uh, your initial response is kind of, well, hold, hold on, Paul. What, what do you mean there's many gods and many lords? We, we actually had a conversation in the office this week as we were kind of looking at the scripture verse, like what's, what's going on? Uh, it, it's, it's important to note in your Bible that when it says there are many gods and many lords, that those are, are lowercase, right? Uh, it's also uh, matters that depending on your translation, it might read that there are so-called gods, right? They're so-called. Uh, when Paul is saying that there's many gods and many lords, he's not saying, hey, there's a whole lot of things that are worth believing in. Uh, he's not saying that, that all of these gods or all of these lords are on equal footing. He's just kind of taking a look at the world around him and saying, there are a whole lot of things that people are putting their trust in. There's a whole lot of things that are out there that, that people are, are allowing to reign supreme within their lives. There are many competing religions or religious systems in the world of ideas that exist. He, he's taking a note, he's saying there's all these things that are out there. In his time, it was an, intentionally relig an intensely religious world. Uh, there were the Jewish people who worshipped uh, only the God of Israel, but, but most people in Paul's world worshipped a multitude of gods. 
Uh, the gods of the Roman world were, were everywhere. There were statues and paintings that were in homes and work, uh, stores and uh, gas stations or, or horse, horse charging stations, whatever it might be. They, were, they had statues and paintings everywhere, right, to draw people's attention to the multitude of gods that existed. And, and this multitude of gods might help you with your business. Uh, there's others that might help you capture the heart of your true love. There were others that were thought to bring about health and healing, other gods that would help if you were wanting to have children. Uh, There were people who worshipped the Roman emperor as God, or as a god. Even the empire itself took on godlike qualities for people. Uh, The might of the Roman empire was seen as a sign of God's favor. Gods were, were everywhere, and they touched on every phase of life. It's a little bit different, at least in our understanding of the world today, right? In our culture, we've tried to distinguish between uh, religious and non-religious parts of life. We've tried to kind of separate things, compartmentalize a little bit. There's our, you know, our religious life, our work life, our, our family life, our friend life. We, we kind of space it out in all of these places. And perhaps this is to our detriment, right? That we separate things in this way. Uh, but in Paul's world, this wasn't the case. Everything was religious. And this is the world that Paul is writing into. Uh, Christians in the early church, uh, they would have also seen every aspect of their life as religious. But unlike the people around them, rather than saying, well, yeah, there's a God for my work and a God for my family and a God for this and a God for this and a God for these other things, they said, you know what? We believe that there is one true God. One God who, who came to us in Jesus and who rules over everything and who rules over every part of my life, from my business life to my family life to the how I spend my money life to the who I sleep with life. There is this one God who's been revealed to us in Jesus who is Lord over all. You know, this, this kind of Roman world with many gods, it, it might seem a little bit foreign to us, but... But the reality is, is we kind of live in a, in a world that's filled with many different choices, many so-called gods and many so-called lords. I mean, there's the, the kind of institutional religions, you know, there's Christianity or Islam or uh, Judaism or Buddhism or Hinduism, maybe not as prevalent in, in our world, but, but across the world, we see that there's, there's lots of people who, who follow these different uh, so-called gods. Uh, There's uh, also people who would say, you know what, I don't believe in any God, but they have some sort of system of belief, something that they are placing their trust in, something that that is, they're giving them hope where they're placing their peace. They have a religious expression. Uh, There's a growing number of people who say, well, I don't identify with any particular religion, but they have something that they place their trust in. Uh, They have some, even a multitude of gods that they've created or that they've fashioned that govern their life, that give direction to their life. You know, we could, we could probably go on and name a bunch more. There's, there's also uh, outside of these more kind of institutional roles, there's a number of things that, that strive to be Lord of our lives, that strive to be God beyond a strict religious system. Uh, The Lord of your life could be any number of things, politics, work. Uh, Sex, sports, patriotism, entertainment, our physical experience could become a Lord for our lives. Wealth, drugs, uh, alcohol, social media, uh, retirement can become a Lord over our lives. Uh, Any number of causes that we might find ourselves in become a religion, become a God for us. We don't tend to identify them as God's. 
But a lot of time they take God-like status within our lives. We, we allow them to occupy the space that only God should fill. Uh, the kind of founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, he noted this, and this was back in the 1700s, but it still applies for today. He says, you know, we do not, like the idolatrous heathens, worship molten or graven images. We're not building statues and placing them in different places. Uh, We don't bow down to the stock of a tree, to the work of our own hands. But what then? We have set up idols in our heart. And to these we bow down and worship them. Uh, Wesley is saying that we allow things to take up this godlike status within our lives. We allow things to become Lord over our lives. When a notification goes off on your phone, you immediately check it. You like pull it out every now and then, uh, no matter where you're at or who you're with. Right? I mean, I don't know. I find myself almost becoming like a servant to my phone. The thing buzzes and I'm like, what is going on? Uh, I've got five minutes where I'm not with people. What's going on? Like it, we become uh, slaves to it. Uh, are, are there people that you watch or that you listen to every day whose opinions or rants become so similar to your own that you... You can't see how someone might see things differently or, or you become angry because there's somebody else who's messing up your world. I mean, I, I was talking with a family recently uh, and, and they were caring for an older person within their family. They said they had to just turn off the TV because uh, this person would become so frustrated watching this 24-hour news channel. They would become so angry at everything. They would become so depressed and disgusted at the world around them because they were just allowing this to feed into them. It became uh, something that, that lorded over their life. And so they had to shut it off so they could listen to the words of Jesus. Paul says there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is, there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And, and if Jesus is not the Lord of our lives, something else will be. If Jesus is not the one who takes up that space within our hearts and lives, who gives direction to us, there is something else. There are a whole bunch of competing ideas and forces within our world that will gladly fill up that space within your life. The uh, great mathematician philosopher Blaise Pascal said that there is a God-shaped vacuum, a God-shaped emptiness, a God-shaped hole within our hearts, uh, within the heart of each man. And it cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator made known through Jesus Christ. There's this God-shaped hole that exists within us, but we try to fill it with any sort of thing. We try to fill it with any kind of God or Lord or or anything. And when we do, we make that thing supreme within our lives. If Jesus is not Lord of our lives, something else will be. Even Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, or you're devoted to one and you despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot serve both God and work. You cannot serve both God and politics. You cannot serve both God and sex. You cannot serve both God and wealth or entertainment or any other kind of cause that you might find. There's only one who can have true lordship over your life. When the demands of work and the demands of following Jesus come into conflict, which will you choose? Right, when it's doing the thing that, 
that nobody else might notice. You know it's not exactly right, but nobody else is going to see it, and it's going to help you get ahead versus doing the thing that Jesus has called you to do versus doing the right thing. Which are you going to choose? Uh, when, when you're working so much that you have no time for prayer and Sabbath, will you continue to prioritize work over your relationship with Jesus? When the demands of politics and the demands of following Jesus come into conflict, and they, they do and they will, which do you choose? How do you, how do you choose to align yourself? Which do you allow to direct and guide your life? When you are tempted to engage in sexual activity outside the bounds of Christian teaching, maybe it's, you know, looking at those pictures that your coworker wants to show you. How do you respond? When your desire to relax and retire and just do nothing conflicts with Jesus' call to serve, which will you choose to follow? You can only have one highest priority. You can only have one Lord. And out of all the lords that you can choose from, all, out of all the things that you could place at the center of your life, I'm going to say that only Jesus can bring you true peace. Only Jesus can truly bring your heart in line with God's heart. Only Jesus can offer eternal life to you. Right? All kinds of things want to be Lord of your life. All kinds of things want to be the number one priority in your life. And they all are making promises to us. If you follow me, you'll have a better life. If you follow this plan, you'll be more fulfilled. If you, if you follow this idea, you'll have peace. But only Jesus can truly fulfill that role within your life. Now, only Jesus can truly be the Lord of your life who fulfills you, who gives you peace, who gives you joy, who becomes your strength. And, and this, is, this is why. See, everything that wants the Lord over us has an expectation of us. Right? Everything that wants the Lord over us has some kind of expectation. It, it, it has some sort of sacrifice that it is asking for us or asking from us. Um, I bought a pair of shoes at DSW uh, not too long ago. Uh, and I made the mistake of giving them my email address. Right? Big mistake. The, the next day after I just bought a pair of shoes, I have an invitation to buy more shoes. Here's a discount, but come and buy some more. I get a thing in the mailbox, right? They're sending out the old snail mail stuff. And it says, hey, there's a sale coming up. Why don't you come and buy some more shoes, right? It's a way of filling that, that hole that exists within your heart. You got to get it, fill it with shoes. I get another email saying, hey, you're just a few points away from getting $10 off. Come and buy some more, and then you can get a discount, right? I mean, more and more and more. There's a sacrifice that no matter what it is, you are being asked to make, Every Lord asks something from us, demands a certain piece or part of us. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people I've heard that lost friends over elections recently, uh, lost friends over responses to COVID, lost friends over all kinds of different ideologies. And, and why is it? It's because each of these Lords demands complete allegiance from us. It's the way that they work. Every Lord places demands on us. Every Lord wants us to serve. But there is only one Lord who first served us. Right? Every Lord wants a sacrifice from us. But there is only one Lord who sacrificed himself for us. Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. 
See, Jesus lived for us. Every moment of his living was for our good, was done in service to us, was done, was done to show us his goodness and mercy. Jesus died for us. Right? His death on the cross was for us, to take our sins and punishment upon himself, to offer us forgiveness through his blood being shed. And Jesus rose from the dead for us, so that we can receive new life and life everlasting, so that in the same way that he was raised, that we might be raised as well. And Jesus did all of this while we were still his enemies. Right before we even had a thought of calling Jesus Lord, he served, he sacrificed, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead for you and for me. Jesus is worthy to be your Lord because he's the only one who has truly given of himself for you. He is the only one who can truly offer you life, who can offer you life eternal. So the invitation is for us to make Jesus the Lord of our lives, to let him be the Lord over every part of our life, every part of our being, not just certain parts, not just a, a one day a week part, but over every part Not just over some of the spaces where we feel comfortable letting Jesus be Lord, but over the places where we're not quite so sure yet that we want to follow him, but we need to listen and follow him as he leads. Making Jesus our Lord, it it does take something of us, though. To make him our Lord, it means that we give him our, our obedience, it means that we give him our trust, and it means that we give him our love. He invites us to make him Lord and in doing so to find peace and strength and hope and joy. But in doing so, it's going to require something from us. See, Jesus teaches a whole lot of things throughout scripture. We're invited to learn his teachings and to follow. You can read in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And then he says, if you love me, you're going to obey what I, what I command, what I teach. You're going to follow my teaching. It's not going to be easy because he teaches us to live a perfect life of love and truth like he lived. But then Jesus says, you know what? If you're going to take that step, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to obey what I teach, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to live within you, to dwell within you, to lead and to guide you. So that whenever one of these other lords, one of these lesser uh, gods, one of these so-called lords or gods wants to, to take up residence or to take up root or to say, hey, maybe you should do this or maybe you should do that, the Holy Spirit will speak within us and say, no, 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 God has something better for you. Don't go in that direction. Go this way. And the Holy Spirit will always guide us into what Jesus is teaching. If it's something that aligns with what Jesus teaches, then we can say, yeah, this is the Spirit working in my life. If it's something that's leading us away from what Jesus teaches, it's it's probably one of these other so-called lords. But Jesus invites us uh, to make him the Lord of our life and to follow, to obey what he teaches. Making Jesus the Lord of our lives means that that we're going to trust him with each and every part of our life. That we trust that he is working for our good. And we trust that what he teaches us is good. I mean, our our world has many competing visions of what the good life looks like. Many ideas about what is good for us. Uh, These lesser lords promise many things, but they make us their servants rather than serving us. I mean, I was speaking with a family just yesterday. And they uh, had had a um, family member pass away and the kids were remembering their father. And they were saying that, that when they were growing up, that he was so caught up in work. He was so caught up in drinking and in self-medicating that he wasn't there for them as kids. Right? All of these things had promised that they were going to be a good Lord of his life. All of these things had promised him something good, but really they destroyed his life and his relationships 
they, they brought hurt into the significant others within his life that he really didn't have because he was following these other lords. The good news of the story was that God didn't give up on him. He had a heart transplant that they said brought about an actual change of heart. It changed the direction and the scope of his life, and he stopped living for all of these things. And he began to renew his connection with his children. He quit listening to these lesser lords. And he began to live a much better life. So trusting in Jesus, uh, following him as our Lord, means that we're trusting his teaching to guide our lives. That we're trusting that a life lived in keeping with God's will truly is good. Right? That is, we trust him fully. There's a peace and a joy that comes no matter the circumstances, no matter what trouble comes our way. Because he's not only Lord of our lives, but he's Lord over everything. And to make Jesus Lord of our lives means we give ourselves to loving him. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says that we love because he first loved us. It's to recognize the great love that God has shown to us in Jesus and to respond by loving him. It's to, to truly let it sink into our hearts and our souls and our minds that, that Jesus gave himself fully for us. We might give ourselves fully to God. Our, our bodies, our, our hearts, our time, our talent, our treasures, our emotions, our desires, our will, not out of obligation, but in response to the great love that's been shown to us. And the good news of Jesus is ultimately a story about how God first loved us, even when we were unlovable, even when we were his enemies. And if we take hold of that story and we allow it to take hold of us, if we believe wholeheartedly in this good news of Jesus, it begins to shape the way that we see ourselves. We don't have to listen to these other lords. It begins to shape the way that we see the world around us. The love of our Lord and our Savior Jesus will shape us. It'll change us. It'll mold us. It'll make us so that we love more and more and more like he did. So this morning, as we, as we get ready to sing our, our closing song, I'm going to invite us to take the time as we sing to, to spend in prayer. Right? The, the prayer rails will be open. You're invited to come and spend some time in prayer. If there's places in your life where Jesus isn't fully Lord, to come and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to invite you into this space. I'm going to invite you into this part of my life to come and reign and live within me. Uh, if there's places in your life where you're struggling, where, where there's other lords, uh, that are speaking, that are battling. There's places in your life where, where you're struggling to trust Jesus as Lord, to come and to place that at his feet, to come and to lay your burdens down and to invite him to be the Lord of that situation.